This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads from the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your host, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go! Welcome to the Seattle Overload Podcast, where sadly the Seahawks season has ended. They have been knocked out of the playoffs at the first time of trying. 41-23 to by the San Francisco 49ers. That scoreline tells some of the story, but not all of it. The Seahawks actually led this game 17-16 to in the first half, at the end of the first half, after Jason Myers made a 56-yard field goal thanks to a silly hit from Ward on, on Geno Smith sliding. But then they sort of capitulated in the second half for a variety of reasons, some of which we will explore today. But Griff, what's your mood like right now? Um... I mean, I really didn't want the game to get out of hand. I was emotionally, mentally prepared for a loss. I think hmm. most of us were. But I, I mean, they're a 10 point thought, underdog. Right, right. And I, I really thought, like, the way the first half went, even with what felt like a, a per play disparity, a, a one point, you know, difference going into the ha- going into halftime, I definitely felt like that was a little even plausible scenario. I, I really didn't think it would, it would get a, away from them the way that it did. Um, you know, defensively, it's, it's really a story of just like explosive plays. Um, like, and I kind of take some solace from the fact that the explosive plays occurred on your, many of them occurred on your best players that were out there because I feel like that's something that isn't likely to repeat. And like, while for this game they were problems there you're not going to go replace Tariq Woolen. Like, there's nothing to do to address that. You just, Tariq Woolen advances along his development curve and that's it, right? Like, you don't say anything else, right? Um, so, like, like that 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 sort of thing. Like, Ryan Neal, he gave up a lot of plays today, but he was probably not 100%. He didn't play for three, three weeks. Probably shouldn't have played today, and he's intended to be your third safety, a really key, important role player, don't get me wrong. But, like, it's just, okay, like, I can stomach that. You know, um, the run defense is something that really just baffles me still, though. Um, and that's a that's a big picture conversation that we'll get into. But, you know, um, on, on the flip side offense, I mean, I was really encouraged by like Gino kind of ending his the the interception. I don't think that was really on him. The fumble, he's got to secure the ball. 
even under duress but it was really good to see what i thought was like a a really high-end geno game to end the season after that dip right that he that occurred a statistical dip anyway and some legitimately bad geno games in there but then also to do it against the top three defense in the league like like okay that's a that's a good way to end the season if you're going to end it at least offensively um and the the run blocking was competent you know against a really good front so like there's not i'm not i'm not declaring moral victories but you know if you're gonna if you're, if you're gonna get blown out to end the end of your season then i would like to look for something to be positive so that's what i look to yeah fair enough fair enough uh yeah let's focus on the defense first that looked like a promising first half performance really like it was somewhat bend don't break there was positives for sure you know you could see how it's working brock purdy looked rattled like he didn't look like he belonged in a playoff game and yet by the end of the game he finishes with 332 passing yards three passing touchdowns zero interceptions um there was some advanced metrics which came out after the game as well where purdy threw into tight coverage a yard of separation or fewer on just two attempts of his um, 30 attempts. And he had a completion percentage over expectation of plus 0.3%, which means that guys were wide, wide open. To that point, Debo Samuel, uh, per next-gen per next gen stats, gained 131 of his 133 receiving yards on in-breaking routes. So Shanahan just crossed the Seahawks to death. That included four receptions for 120 yards and a touchdown on crossing routes. They from Debo. So it was just a mess. Which just is a mess. And, and I feel ahead. like I, I, I'm, I'm interested in the tape, right? And um, I'm interested in the tape. But in the first half, it felt like the 49ers came out and passed quite a bit. Like they had 19 pass attempts in the first half in a neutral game. Um, and there were certain series where it's like all oh, pass, but then in the second half, and it, this is all anecdotal. I, I should back it up right. with data. I need to watch tape. Second half I felt they were more balanced. Seattle couldn't stop the run. They kind of had to stop, give up more to stop the run. And Pete, in his post game press conference, Pete Carroll, he said they were geared up to stop the run, and that sort of left them in some situations where crossing routes they just couldn't handle it off the play action. They were caught in. They, they didn't do play it well in zone. Obviously, Woolen had his worst game, as he said, and you know you wonder how much his uh, sprained ankle was affecting it. But I, I don't know. Am I am I off base feeling that or? No, I, I agree, and it's it's odd, right? Because last week, granted, they played the, the Rams, right. horrible horrible team. But I mean, like a lot of those plays that Shanahan ran this week or this game isn't doesn't always rely on the. The receiver and the quarterback it's just it's scheme it's attacking structure the, the sean mcveigh can scheme that stuff up too and seattle bottled all of it up last week like just i don't care if it's peak matt stafford and cooper cup no one's open because they're recognizing the routes the same way in 2020 when cooper cup was out there cooper cup wasn't open in a lot of those matchups either on those uh, boot opportunities so the fact that they're saying they're gearing up for the run that to me that means within those calls they're they're not asking the linebackers to robot as we say like find those crossing routes mm -hmm. they're having them play aggressive even if it's cover three a zone right but then having woolen travel across the field on some of those and he's just losing it and i think the, the issue there matt you can speak more to this is not feeling the break right 
um, because he needs to know what route on the route tree is defending and it's more of an eyes thing and anticipation thing because i mean he's he's as fast as you can be he has the best recovery speed in the nfl probably um and he did, so he did griff he did get a bit out of shape against the rams a bit um on certain root stems like i think as the season's gone on his sort of lack of exposure you know the fact it's been year one in the nfl like it's it, in a defeat it's always easy to overreact as I almost throw whatever i'm holding in my hand over the right. room because I'm gesturing my hands. Um, no, but it is easy to overreact to like a one game thing. But I think with, with Woolen and sort of over exaggerate stuff you'd seen. But with Woolen, there was elements to his game where it's like, okay, he's he's inexperienced here. He's he you know it's starting to show up. And I think Shanahan went at him at this game. I think with the amount of man coverage that Seattle was playing in like big downs and also just to try and get guys going at the ball. Uh, you know, Shanahan sort of noticed that and adjusted really, really well. Um, I felt also, you know, it's just a talent thing. Like the the Rams' offensive lines banged up, their receivers are missing. You know, they're massively depleted. Right. Whereas when you get to the the 49ers, they have talent in every single area. Their offensive line's great, uh, especially at blocking the run and run action stuff. And I think Seattle just got exposed in that sense too. Now we do have a very kind donation from um, David Crockett saying, um, and who's been big supporter of the podcast and also our work, Griff. Uh, he he asked, um, is it the design of the defense to have a lot of 1v1 tackle opportunities? If so, why? Uh, I f- no. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's not as simple as a yes, no answer. But um, what I, th- I think you can sort of flip it on his head and say that Shanahan is so damn good at getting one-on-one opportunities. Now, if Seattle's playing a lot of man coverage, as I felt they did in this game, to try and stop the run, and also to... Because Brock Purdy at the start looked awful against it in the passing down situations. Like, one right. rat, he was like almost through two picks to the low-hole defender. Um, but yeah, I feel, I feel Shanahan then just got into situations where he could force the one-on-one opportunities and with the leverage advantage for the receiver. Uh, but we right. can get to Seattle's tackling too. Right. I, I, yeah, I agree. But I, um, I think where David's question like really applies, though, is for, at least for this year compared to last year is like the differences in how they coach cover three now. Now that you're matching both seams, it's the same principle as man coverage. You, you have more one on one opportunities. It's helped them in a lot of areas. But when you do lose and you give you surrender a completion over the middle and you miss the tackle or you can't, it's you don't have anyone else to leverage to the way that they used to coach it. If someone popped over at the intermediate, there would be guys spaced to rally on that ball. The difference, though, is that they gave up fewer targets at the intermediate last year at the expense of the check down. This year, they defend the check down equally as bad, but they just have less check down targets because they have more intermediate targets and they're defending those intermediate targets at a better rate basis. It's just that when you don't defend them well, they hit harder on average. Um, so I think, David, I don't, I don't know, maybe that answers your question. Um, I don't think it's designed to say, well, we want one-on-one tackle opportunities, but it's just that's like a coincidental, you know, product, byproduct of it. Um, and it obviously it hurt them this game. Hmm. And a, a lot of defense is, like, a lot of defenses make one-on-one tackle opportunities. Uh, now, the other thing is, that Seattle's tackle in this game was atrocious. And that's sort of, then you're like, well, why is that guy one-on-one? If it, it, you know, the miss obviously accentuates the, the, 
the nature of the tackle. Uh, Pete Carroll mentioned after the hmm, one of the games where there was bad tackling early in the season, he mentioned that he, he was up all night thinking about rugby tackling and that in the off-season they need to go, go and play some rugby again, which is obviously funny or sadly ironic because Seattle back in 2012, wrote the book on the heads-up USA football tackling. They were a big part of that implementation, which is taught to high school coaches as a way to tackle safely with your head up, shoulder tackling, head out of the game tackling, and called it stuff like the hawk tackle and stuff like that. But I've, I'm have i certified in that course to coach football in the UK. So they had a big influence on that, and their tackling did used to be very good. And it seems... This year, I think maybe there was this focus on the punch tackle where they were trying to get the ball out with the second tackler coming in. And I mm-hmm. think maybe that's come at the expense of pursuit and, and tracking the, the, the hip. Anyway, they, they've got a big well, issue to fix. And, P- and but Pete and, Carroll knows it was an issue. It's just sad that it regressed so badly today. Right. right. And and to speak of like, you know, the cost benefit trade-off right like the force fumbles dried up now those are fluky anyway and maybe it's folly to try to actually coach turnovers because i feel like it's just something that follows from good defense in general and taking advantage of opportunities Definitely. Uh, but, but it's the fumbles dried up so maybe pete's thinking yeah we need to revert back to just stressing fundamentals over everything mm. and um D- john carry asked um matty if jordan brooks is healthy does he mitigate some of the crosses uh yeah and that's a big thing like ultimately there's a feel to this game that the defense after that first half not only did they have issues that they had this season um not only did shanahan cool just like an unbelievable game uh but also the talent disparity like injuries happen in football the 49 is heck they've had a hell of a lot of injuries they're still playing well but they're they're healthy on offense pretty much Whereas Seattle's missing their two big players. They're missing Jordan Brooks, as you mentioned, John. And yeah, he'd help looking for the crosses. He's the, one of the best robots in football where you you, uh, you read run or pass off play action. So you come up to play a run, you realize it's play action. Then you turn and locate a, the, the kind of crossing or race routes and man term with it and chase it down the field man and, and carry it, match it down the field. And he was... He was great at that Brooks and obviously he wasn't there today he's done for the season with his knee injury and obviously they're also missing Jamal Adams who would have been a big part of the defense that's what happened in football but yeah that obviously would have helped they didn't have those guys and I think yeah I've said it but the talent disparity is obvious just to put it in uh you know uh more statistical sort of uh outlining of how bad this was for the defense the 49ers um scored on eight of their like nine non-garbage offensive possessions um four touchdowns four field goals they had 505 yards of offense the most they've had in a game in the last three seasons this is per shil uh, capadio of the uh the ringer now um obviously he used to be a beat writer covering the seahawks um when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seattle's defense, just, and it was really that second half where it just started just falling apart. Um, I, I, I don't really. I, I need to rewatch it. I need to rewatch it. I'm sort of lost at where. It's it's hard to when ev- so many things are going wrong. Like it's hard to identify, right? An area. Um, help me, Griff. No, I um I agree with you. Um, it's I mean it, it was it was a disaster day on defense. So, um, I I think that you know they had they they had worse strong safety play this week than they had the last month. So like even controlling for opponent and we already talked about, you know, we, we already talked about Ryan Neal not being a hundred percent, but like maybe Abram should have started Tariq Woolen had the worst game of his young career. Well, we didn't career. talk about Neal on air Griff. So yeah, go into that. Oh, well, right. I mean, uh, he probably shouldn't have played. He was, you know, out for three weeks. He didn't seem like a hundred percent. Abrams has been actually playing pretty good football you know, in the same scenarios that Neil found himself in, like, especially surprisingly, not because I have any preconceived notion of him, but a guy that's coming off the street playing like rule assignment, assignment, correct football. Like last week he put on the clinic defending the second level um, against play action. And that's really hard to do. That's a premium skill. Um, And Abrams was performing better than I thought anyone could coming in for, you know, being a depth player and all that stuff. So, um, and then you don't have Jordan Brooks, and that that hurts. Um, it, it limits what you can do in coverage. Uh, Cody Barton probably could have been activated more in coverage if he was playing Will, if they had Brooks in at Mike. Now again, I'm saying that without watching the tape, but there's just there's these downstream effects. Um, you, you can see how like they need another playmaker opposite Uchenna Nwosu, a three down playmaker. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I still like Taylor a lot on passing downs. Hopefully he he can become a three down player again, like he was last year and was doing all right, but they need another guy like that. Um, you know, up front on the interior, it's like the 49ers offensive line is playing way better this year than they did last year. And I think it was just maybe continuity, but like last year, I think that matchup was fairly even talent wise and execution wise up front, the line of scrimmage and the guys are either the same up front in the middle, or they've replaced a 275 pounder with a 300 pounder, Shelby Harris, who not only is more of a three, four defensive end, who, which is really a three technique for all intents and purposes. He also comes from the same scheme being coached under Vic Fangio. So there's just, it, it, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, of course the commentary there is that they're not playing that much three, four. And when they do play three, four, I think it's regressed because they don't drill it as often as they did last year. But, um, you know, it's 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 easy to overreact, like you were saying. Easy to overreact to the results of this game. It can't it can't override every, all the games that happened before it. Um, like like the in the manner in which they happened, because the manner in which they happened dictates how the you know coaching staff and front office should go about the changes they need to make. They don't just react to this game. Um, so I mean, there's caveats to everything. So I don't know. Beyond that, yeah. I just Beyond that, it just requires, you know, watching the game back and trying to be level-headed about it. Yeah, no doubt. And I feel like the other thing which changed was, well, I I guess it didn't change, but within the other big plays hitting, uh, Brock Purdy started really uh, sort of improvising when the play broke down to effect, a positive effect for the 49ers. 
like Elijah Mitchell's touchdown catch uh, to put the 49ers up 29 to 17. Uh, and then they obviously went for two, made it 31-17. But that catch in the flat was Purdy escaping and obviously no one covering Mitchell because it's a broken play. Like, those things matter too. So, it's, it's a, again, it's, it's sort of the worst possible uh, thing to happen to the defense in the second half, which, yeah, that's not great. Um, I don't know. It's the, the, I'm interested to see the tape. I feel like... We're going to have similar gripes to other poor run defense performances. Yeah, they can add pieces. Right. Um, we'll have I mean, to see. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. You know what happens in the end of season presses as well. Like Clint Hurt is uh, is is Pete Carroll's guy. Obviously, he appointed him, but also you know that he's been with Pete for a while. He's a young coach. It's his first year play calling. I don't think firing him would um, achieve anything really um, because, you know, you've invested so much time and energy. That being said, they've run like three different defenses this year. Um, this is like the most basic defense I've seen under Pete Carroll right now. And I, f I feel that's a big factor in what we saw today where Shanahan sort of knew, you know, there was, there was no added layer to combat what Shanahan was doing. And in past years, like 2021, they had quite a bit of schematic complexity. Whereas this year, I guess maybe because it's year one of a new system, but this ain't the system they thought they'd be running. Like this, this the, the thing they ended in is like 2012 to 2019 Seattle, as you said. And um, and it was very, van it was more vanilla than that. They, ha they had like one or two calls um, for each thing that uh, offense can pose, yeah. you know, not, well, not much wrinkles and, or and the reason because it's like they were schematically retreating into you know making yeah. the numbers work and because of they didn't start the year in camp this way they didn't have all the necessary extra stuff now but they still don't want to be this this is a reaction so the i mean to me i think the fundamental question of this year is they were a you know contrary to you know phrasing like it's you know that endures they were a 3-4 team in 2021 and 2020 that ch change occurred two years ago they played less 3-4 this year in favor of the 2-4-5 nickel front which is essentially looks like four guys on the line of scrimmage you got two tackles to their hand of their dirt and then two outside linebackers but it's an over front a four-man over front even not a five-man over front they're playing nickel nickel and they're playing that against under center on first and 10 i mean they're really only to 11 personnel but still last year they were playing three four bear to 11 personnel even nickel or base often nickel though um and they really you know went away from that that package they had it but they were running pro progressively less of it as the season went on and they insisted on this two four five front and because it was so atrocious against the run they had to then load the box up in it and essentially they just played cover three skyle all year long and that took them out of the coverage shells they wanted it took them out of the way they layered calls together um and so the response was just to load the box as opposed to let's get back into bear and get all the the um the supplementary calls in like the fire zones and weaving in and out of coverages but the problem was i think because they invested so much in the two four five that made the three, four stuff, the bear stuff less flexible and had, had less time invested in it. So that wasn't something they could retreat into. 
so they didn't have anything to fall into to to solve all the problems that they would need to. The only thing that they could do was we spent too much time in the two four five. We need to drop the safety down, and it they 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 hamstrung themselves. I mean, they tied themselves in the knot basically, and at times they played really good defense at times in that. So like that's encouraging because you're undermanned. You know, not everyone's healthy. You know, they can show that they have a heartbeat. But there's no way Pete Carroll says, okay, we're going to go run Brooklyn and Phoenix and, and, you know, and like, you know, tank, tank fronts next year. That was, that's his old language for this kind of thing. There's just no way he's Clint Hurt doesn't want to do that. Sean Desai and Carl Scott, assuming they're still on the team. They don't want to do that. That's not, that's not their world. That, that, that's not that's, why they were hired. Right. That's not the point. Otherwise you know, bring back Ken Norton Jr. or whoever. Um, I mean, they, sh- they shouldn't have fired him anyway, but um, I digress. But so it's, it's, it's really like, I hope someone asks Pete about why they played with the fronts the way that they did and why they continued when it didn't seem like it was working and the downstream effect it had. And then really like, how do they, how do they open next year? Like, what are they philosophically next year? So, yeah. I don't know, and and, and we'll we'll get into this stuff with our more in depth season review and all that, and off season preview and all that. But yeah, um, it's an interesting. There's they've sort of learned a lot this year, but then learned nothing. It, <laughs> I, mm, yes, but that is for the future. Um, so the big moment in the game, really, which will be identified, is start of the second half. Seattle, as I said, was up seventeen to sixteen. The 49ers put together a one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. A 13-play touchdown drive with two explosive plays on the drive and go up 23 to 17. Seattle then responds with a real nice mix on offensive, like shotgun after being heavily sort of under center and moving the ball really well in the run game um, in the first half. And, then they go spread uh, the 49ers out. We see a bit of up-tempo as well. Geno Smith balls down the field. Seattle gets to um, second and nine at the San Francisco 13-yard line. or 14-yard line, sorry. After a one-yard run from DJ Dallas. Geno throws it downfield to Tyler Lockett for seven yards. And it's on a quarterback draw RPO play. It comes back for penalty on Damian Lewis, an eligible man downfield for five yards, and that puts Seattle in a second and 14 situation. Now, just in a vacuum, that penalty is bizarre because if you pause it as the ball's coming out of Gino's hand, Lewis is at one yard. He did a bad job of sort of like not getting depth, and but for an official to call that is very, very marginal. Uh, Pete Carroll said that they usually are allowed two yards of leeway. So it was just a bizarre time, bizarre call to make. Um, and there was actually two more of them. The third one, probably Lewis should have been a bit smarter, but the second one was also very weird. So just bad, bad luck, I guess, for Seattle, just bad officiating. And um, not to mention that DK Metcalf, he beat, he had his best game. We can get onto that, but he beat Ward yeah. on a play and then was tugged back Um and there was no flag, which was unfortunate. Anyway, I digress. What happened which, afterwards? Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. 
I was just going to say, I mean, I, I like the the sentiment of letting them play, but then I didn't like Colby Parkinson's holding call preceding it. It's like either let them play or don't. Yeah, I feel Seattle didn't get the officiating luck today. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so then second and 14, uh, they try a, a deep shot to Metcalf. Uh, then they get in a third and 14, and the big moment happens where at the San Francisco 19-yard line, Geno Smith is sacked by Charles Amenehu and fumbled the football, which was recovered by Nick Bosa. Seattle's down by six. The 49ers have the ball, and they march down the field. The reason why that that penalty was so costly was, I mean, besides the fact that it sets up, you know, its penalties are bad, right? You lose yards. But they really desperately needed to stay out of third and long situations and second and long situations against that front. And sure enough, it lets who fly upfield on a deep pocket, on a deep drop. And and I think Gino did a good job stepping up through that, keeping his eyes downfield, but then didn't secure the ball. I mean, that was a crazy play by him. He had Amenehu. two hands on the ball. You could say his hat, it needed to be higher. Uh, like he was carrying it kind of low, but he was yeah. trying to move up. Like, uh, yeah, just a great play. Yeah. Gino said he saw it. Yeah, un- unfortunate. So that, that's really why they couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't sustain those types of things. And then at that point, it definitely felt like the game just got out of hand for them. And, you know, the butterfly effect and all, all that, you, you never know if you get a touchdown there, what, what the vibes are like on the sideline, how that contributes. But you still have to play the play in front of you. And they, they definitely did it. Um, it's just so weird, though. Like, the ball was out immediately. And when you pause it, like, it's a... anyway, just bizarre. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then there was, like, usual kind of inexperienced playoff teams problems i guess um yeah um i don't know the, the again we need to watch the tape the off i felt the offense did okay it was more that the defense just collapsed like this 49ers team is a very 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 talented defense like they are right. absolutely stacked um they're going to cause teams issues throughout these playoffs however long they end up lasting uh i very felt well this coached was, obviously you know, really well coached uh very talented like multiple pros um i felt they played okay it was just the defense just collapsed uh we've got a very kind donation here from uh, frank darcy i just wanted to say i have enjoyed your coverage all season looking forward to a new year thank you thank you so much frank we've enjoyed it too and we're not going to go anywhere so don't worry about that um yeah so i yeah, we'll, we'll have a film podcast out from this. If you're watching, please do like the video, subscribe. We've got loads of people, which one, tells me people obviously are enjoying the podcast, but two, this Jaguars game or Jaguars game isn't doing very well um, in terms of closeness. Right, so the big thing which came out of the game was um, from the press conferences in terms of what happens when guys start talking about the future. Gina Smith said he uh, wants to finish his career in Seattle. He wants to be there. He t- spoke twice about repaying the organization for the faith that they shown in, uh, sh- showed in him uh, in the offseason. And he spoke about loyalty. So it sounds like he would be open to a more amenable contract than, you know, he could he Maybe. could realistically get more elsewhere. He could play hard to bargain, obviously, his contract up. But clearly, he's open to a more team-friendly deal, which is big. Pete Carroll said... 
Gino, he's for real. Gino's the real deal. You know, he can do all of the things that a terrific quarterback does. You know, he praised his movement, praised his leadership, praised his poise and calm throughout the season and said how much of a great story it was and that he hopes that they can get something done uh, in the offseason. So there's no uh, reason to think Gino's not the quarterback next year and for other years. Yeah. I think on some of those quotes, that was just Gino being a good soldier. Um, I think he's going to drive a hard bargain, you know, and I hope he gets paid. I do hope, though, that it's like no more than 33 million APY per year. Um, Ideally, like that Tannehill contract makes sense, which what was that? Was that 30 million per year with friendly structure on that third year or something Mm. like that? Um, I feel like that makes sense for both parties. Of course, they could franchise tag him too. Um, regarding what Pete said, it's really cool that they're both like kissing up to each other publicly to the media because, I mean, usually with the way negotiations work, even if you feel that way behind the scenes, you don't verbalize that to everyone. You don't, you know, broadcast yeah, that and because at that the hurts end your of, leverage. Um... And at the end of uh, the regular season, they were a bit more cautious than this, which I, you know, right. they didn't know if they were going to be playing in the playoffs or not. But like, they were a bit more cautious. It's, maybe there's already been positive discussions between the two sides. But yeah, right. I mean, Pete, Pete probably thinks you know, barring a turnover, we almost just put up thirty points on the best defense in the league. So that's probably thinking like that. Probably, you know, validates further like like the, the the cap or what am I saying? The cherry on top. Right. The Gino. Um, how do you think Pete views Gino in the grand scheme of past quarterbacks that he's had? Well, like where does he rank him? Like, like how do you, how do you, this is a leading question because I already have a thought in mind. Oh. Um, um, but I don't know. Is he, because I mean, Pete, the way Pete talks about guys, Carson Palmer is like on his, like, you know, he he's like his you know number one guy because Carson Palmer he was an he was like touted as highly as Peyton Manning before the injuries in college and all that stuff. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like Gino's more like at that Leinart stage in Pete's mind, where you can win championships with Matt Leinart. I mean USC Matt Leinart, who's a really good college quarterback. Right. Um, like not not top shelf elite, but you can do mm-hmm. everything you want to do provided you've got the team around him. So where's Mark Sanchez on this scale? I feel like Sanchez was, um, I feel like he's a, a good notch below liner, but still good enough to you know win on the elite team. But I, I don't know. I feel like because at his core, Pete likes West Coast five step drop, get the ball out, progress. Like mm-hmm. and he likes boots, and that I think to him his well, mind. Today, that's what Gino we, today is. we saw the whole thing from Gino, right? We saw yeah. we saw the whole package. Uh, they and Pete said they called like everything on the sheet, and you could see that they tried everything on offense. And they, honestly, they, it kind of worked. They, they needed schemed, that. Yeah, they just they, they just got too many penalties down the stretch, and yeah. I mean, they schemed into the teeth of the top three defense, and they moved the ball. Um, Which, like, you could say, you know, well, third time trying, and you, right. you should hope they would. But also, yeah, there's some stuff to take. And uh, Griff, uh, real quick, what John Carey's been very kind of said. Uh, really appreciate all the work you guys do. Deeply looking forward to your off-season coverage. Thanks for being the sober voices of the fan base. Thank you, John. That's very kind. Of you. Appreciate that. Um, we will try to do that. Um, so DK Metcalf, thank you, John. He appreciate had a, that. 
he had a bounce back game and it looked awesome how there'd been opportunities I feel in the past 49ers game but in other games too where teams played middle field close coverage showed a bit of press and DK didn't get the ball for a variety of reasons sometimes he didn't get open sometimes Gino wasn't able to get there sometimes you know the protection broke down there was a lot of things going on it wasn't one factor it wasn't one thing to blame but this game DK had a kind of the the peak of what he can be for an offense right he was nestling down little crosses in the hole of like the way they were playing cover four he was uh he he was beating ward all day um and the ward was getting away of a lot dk wasn't really giving it in the same way from what we saw on the broadcast uh he got he can count himself a bit unfortunate there uh i felt it was a really really good performance from metcalf he finished with I can't find it. I think it was 10, 10 receptions, 13 attempts on like 100-something yards. Thank you. Yeah, 100, 136 yards with a long of 50. Wow. And two touchdowns. Like, wow. He, uh, he, he bottled up the, the tough catches too. Oh, yeah. That, um, that um, bullet slant on third and 12 or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, and then, where and he then juggled it and then went down to the ground and completed it. He had a big, big playoff time yeah. game he, he 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 dominated within his his route tree like that's you know it was within himself and he just played it was like pristine dk like what what we know dk to be um so that, that's really great that you know that was there on a high stakes game um you know locket didn't they I, i'm curious to see what happened i'm curious to see how they used locket and then how for san francisco defended him um i wonder if he's not 100 percent still i don't know um so yeah and unfortunately we'll like what what also hurt the offense i guess is the fact that because it just got away from them so much um the seahawks weren't able to keep running the ball at the rate they had in the first half and stay as balanced as did like it it sort of fell apart which yeah they just didn't quite have it today but it was a good learning moment i guess for them and Another shocking thing, Panda Hombre tweeted the podcast asking, what's the record when Pete Carroll wears a grey hoodie? He's got that one with the white stripes on. You are correct. And I'm I'm afraid to tell you that per Ty Dane Gonzalez is Pete Carroll tracker. Um, Griff, what do you you think? Do you think Pete Carroll has a good record in grey hoodies or a bad record? I'm gonna go good, good record. You think? Yeah. He's one and six now. Oh shit! So the gray, the gray hoodie is a problem. Gray hoodie is a problem. Apparently, white on gray is a problem too. They're three and nine in that now. Although I don't believe in that stuff. You I don't? only believe. I it's only quite believe scientific. In, I only believe in blocking and tackling. Right, and getting off the rock. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, no. That's that's interesting. I wonder if um, <laughs> so interesting. I wonder if it's a mental thing. I mean, look good, feel good, play good, coach good, right? Podcast yeah, good. there's got to be some body language thing about gray exuding, you know, not being involved and being gray. <laughs> Curious, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, ah oh well. Um, any questions? We had some good questions earlier. Not that we haven't had good questions now. Uh huh. We we should talk about Ken Walker a little okay. bit. Okay, sure. Because the running Griff was very very good. Like he only finished four point 
two yards per carry, but like that's as actually said, a, the game got away from him, and against this front, it's a really healthy average. That's that's a really healthy average, especially when you consider he didn't have a explosive run. Mm. So that meant their median run was had a high success rate. Um, his longest run was nine yards, which credit to the 49ers, but that meant you were getting movement and he was being decisive, cutting up field when he should and then grinding out extra yards. I mean, that's kind of, you want this to be his floor, which is very attainable for him because the explosives will always be there, you know, in time down the line. So, well, like I mean, his touchdown, he sort of managed to bounce that out, got it in for uh, a few yards. Yeah. Like that was an explosive, albeit in, you know, the red zone. Yeah, right. Um, right. And the offensive line, you know, they played pretty damn good. Like, Gino was sacked uh, three times, 25 yards, but that wasn't really on them. There was a false start, which ain't great. Obviously, we've covered three downfield penalties, which... Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I felt the offensive line did fine and blocked well. I mean, we, 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 we will have... I can't speak today. I guess I'm tired. But, um, yeah, we will have a tape review. Bad defense caught your tongue. Yeah, bad defense. And I don't have coffee because I, ha I have responsibilities, you know. Saturday I have game, coffee. what's that about? You do have coffee. You, have you, are, you have coffee. the enhancing substance. Okay, some questions. Here we go. Uh, we will answer the, the sort of roster construction questions in the future. Although yeah, we're gonna do a a... construction one, so let's let's delve into some. What we can do a little preview. Feels like they need to upgrade Haynes Jackson. Yeah, yeah, it does. I I I think as we said, Gabe Jackson. You know, he was playing uh, up until this game where Phil Haynes was actually inactive. Uh, it'd be interesting to see the snap counts, but up until this game, Gabe Jackson was always hovering around that fifty percent mark, splitting reps. He was like a uh, like a part-time guard, which in the NFL is very uncommon. And the right. plays that he did uh, play on, he struggled. Like, he's not the same player. I, I don't think it would be hard to see a way that he can come back. And Haynes, it, it just it doesn't look like the answer. So, you, yeah, you've definitely got to upgrade right guard. Yeah. Center, Austin Blythe got hurt in this game, but then came back in late. Um, I, I, I feel like Blythe offers a lot of value on, like, the stuff you it like doesn't stand out, and I I feel like that actually like matters. And I, I, he had some honestly like a lot of his play you might say is just fine, but then he absolutely has breakdown drives, breakdown games against talent where it's just too much. Um, that can be mitigated a little bit if the right guard play was as good as the left guard play. I think because um, I think Damian Lewis is really solid now in all phases. So I'm not like totally opposed outright at at. Uh, not replacing Blythe, but if there's like a really convenient way of doing so, someone becomes available in free agency who's who's decent, not too expensive, of which there always is a center that's fairly cheap that is good. Um, or, you know, there's someone in the draft that is like, you know, whatever, a good prospect, then okay, sure, why not? But it doesn't need to be like move heaven and earth to replace center. But I do think they should invest in right guard. Yeah. And also, also the thing is, if you draft a guy to play center, he's probably going to be worse than Blythe was this year, his rookie year. Year two could be really promising, but like Creed Humphrey just doesn't happen most years. Like year one centers are usually bad. And with um, Blythe, the other part of that discussion is he is only on a one year deal. His uh, deal expires this offseason and he's 30 years old. So 
Maybe they do try and dip into the free agency deal, but yeah, I think intangibly, like smarts wise, I think you know he's he adds a lot that we don't you don't necessarily see or do you know do see it. Uh, I also think he's a very easy target for stuff where it's not necessarily his fault. Like, and also few centers would have won in those situations. Like, um, right. yeah, okay, so. What's the priority in the off season? Well, I think I think right guard, and then they the defense is a difficult question to ask and answer in some ways because, like as we covered, the scheme stuff is a bit confusing. But um, and like what actual system they want to be, but just getting pass rush and disruption, like defensive tackle, and it, like if Jalen Carter, I haven't watched him properly. If he was the one, then that you, that would be big. Like they need, yeah, they need. I think a, a guy can play across the interior and play a bit on the outside shoulder of a tackle at times, like for, in under fronts, and can actually be yeah. disruptive. Would be huge. I feel like the the pass rush could use it anywhere. I don't think if 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 an elite right. guy is there, I don't care if he plays defensive tackle or or outside linebacker, like or edge. I don't care. Just they need some three down player that is serviceable against the run that's an elite pass rusher so that you can have him on the field on first down um and get pressure that way um as far as defensive tackle goes i mean they have big questions because woods is going to be 36 years old under contract still a good player but you can't play him a ton of snaps and brian monet is out of the picture unfortunately for 2023 with his acl tear mm -hmm. so they have they have a nose tackle question at three technique i think puna four is he going to be a free agent Puna, or is he under contract for another year? Either way, the way I view defensive he, tackle I is I think just, he's a tender. Okay. The way I view defensive tackle is they have uh, cap cap considerations. Like Shelby Harris, I think, again, is a decent player, but he's going to have a $9 million cap hit next year. They're not going to pay him that, no matter how And if Puna is a, view him. So he's Puna probably is a cap free agent. Yeah, so I feel like they just have regular rostering questions on the interior because their their normal game plan there is day three draft and then veteran defensive free, tackle free agency where they're paying guys a million. Like Puna Four was an undrafted free agent. Al Woods, you know, was originally signed in 2019 as their normal Ataba Rubin, Tony McDaniel signing, and he happens to be probably the best of those guys they've signed in the past, but. um I feel like they've earned the right to to kind of have the same application. But like if Jalen Carter or in another, there might be other guys in this draft that we're, we're going to watch. If if there's another guy that is there in the second round that they just think is a really good player, he can do it all, then okay, take him, you know? Um, but I don't think they, if if they use their surplus resources from this draft and, 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 um, and their, their, their cap structure, if they if they have to use a lot of that to shore up the run defense, then they've already lost and they've already they've already, you know, like undone the the cool opportunity they have here. It needs to come along with the pass rush, or it needs to be like, you know, circumstantial, like there wasn't anyone better at that draft slot or something. Cause I don't want to see them like spam picks in the interior. I, I don't I feel like if the coaching remains the same. I don't feel like that will even make much of a difference because I still believe this run defense regression isn't personnel related, or at least it's like 70-30 coaching to personnel in terms of blame distribution. So I don't know. 
John asked a great question. Uh, way too early question. Does Hurt return to two four five next off season? Especially the expansion of two back offenses as the season went on. Well, so the weird thing, John, is that they were basically uh so against eleven personnel, so one running back, one tight end, they were a two five four five team. Their play just got a bit better in that kind of look. Um uh, and they also played more middle field closed, which kind of went hand in hand. So more cover three, a bit more cover one, but mainly cover three with the safety coming down to the tight end and the nickel going to the passing strength. So what Fangio calls cover nine. Now to 12 personnel and heavier, like 21 personnel, like the two back stuff you talk about. They played base three, four under looks, um, under like weak rotated cover three with a sprinkling of like quarter, quarter, half. Um, so it's it's not really about returning to the two four five as it's more about I don't I don't really know, man. Like is it is it about playing more too high coverages and shells and mixing up your shells more often on like bit like uh neutral downs, like non obvious pass, non obvious run downs? Is it about that? is it about techniques up front trying to get back to playing more gap and a half style stuff? But the thing is around the league that's not that viable with the way offenses are playing teams now. Like if you look at yeah. other defensive struggles, they're not having that much fun, generally speaking, against the kind of problems that Seattle had when they try and do similar things. So like I don't I don't know how you play that much two four five and not have line movement to try to fix. I mean they again they did do some, but why isn't I'm more of a main feature? Um l- l- last year, I mean like the formula to the formula to defeating the run metas, which is still predominantly z- wide zone, under center wide zone with complementary gap scheme to target the C gap weakness. You you play bear to sh- shut down most zone concepts, and then you use fire zones, run blitzes essentially with line movement to shore up the problems presented by the gap scheme or or a lead blocker in the zone and, concept. And- and the the play fakes off it because it pushes the linebackers away, like in right. more advantageous space to cover like the crossing routes, right? And and you go like, well, why do you need to invest that much scheme in the run defense? It's well, I think we take good run defense for granted. How much has to go into it for that to occur? Because if you don't dedicate scheme to it, like this year, they did not dedicate that much scheme to it. That doesn't mean there can't be like overt coaching emphasis within your scheme. That can that can be the trick sometimes. But we didn't see at least superficially run-oriented scheming. And we saw how that matters against teams that run the ball well. They ran the ball extraordinarily well against Seattle this year because of it. So a lot of this, I feel like, goes down to scheme. So um, I don't know. It's, it's bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so so get... yeah go ahead no no you go ahead you well so D- so david asks a good follow-up question do you guys buy the story that only vic fangio's feel the successful fangio style defense i would argue that what ken norton jr was doing last year was his take on that very thing and at least if we're just isolating it to defending the run well i think that you absolutely can because a, a carol assistant's already done it i mean the the the, the two four five thing is like that exists in every Fangio assistance playbook as well. Like it exists almost in every defensive coordinator's playbook. It's what, how you, how you ebb and flow out of it or what, 
what um, characterizes a, a particular defensive coordinator, a particular staff's flavor is how much time they spend in what front, like how they apply the playbook. So you could argue that they're living really in a vein, the same world as they did last year. They're just applying the same, they're applying different stuff, pushing levers, buttons differently, pulling levers differently. Um, so it, it really just comes down to applying what you have really. Yeah. Like they're all the, tools on a tool belt. The early thing of being in two, four, five for more different personnel, like for heavier personnel too, and sort of trying to stick in it as much as possible. That felt like a Sean Desai thing because Desai in Chicago did that loads. Like he, to the point right. that, as we've said, the Rashad Penny game where they're just sat in the same, like too high, two, four, five. They're trying some different ways to cheat the math, but ultimately they get run on the whole game. Uh, I mean, unambiguously, this, the front change this year, we can source to Sean Desai. Now, yeah. to his influence, his suggestion. Now, Clint Hurd is still the defensive coordinator. Pete Carroll is still the head coach, so they all deserve scrutiny. But we still we can still work out fairly cleanly where this came from. Mm. Um, and the the defense to also look at for two four five stuff actually really working was it, in Denver with Fangio in twenty twenty one, where they ran a lot of cover one and two four five. Right. That that's another good point. They don't quite have the guys to run cover one to that extent yet. Maybe another year from Woolen and Kobe. Because what um, cover one allows you to do is you can have your linebackers play pretty hard against the run uh, and sort of play face forward in a way that doesn't quite work in cover three because they would be responsible for some more of the crosses and stuff like that. You agree, Griff? Yeah, no, I uh, I do agree, yeah. Anyway, so... I haven't muted myself. That's all good. Um, so I guess just to put a bow on things, the it's important to have perspective with the whole team because they went 9-8. and eight. A lot of people said they wouldn't. I said they'd go 10-7, and seven, for instance. Um, but no, a lot of people were down in the team. And when Geno Smith was announced as a starter, you know, that did surprise people. If after the trade of Russell Wilson, I didn't think they'd go 10 and 7 or didn't because the quarterback situation was very hairy and I hadn't seen Gino play like he did in the preseason. Uh, and I hadn't had the faith that you, Griff, had in his process earlier. When I hadn't gone through and looked at the All 22 because I was sort of trying to bury my head in the sand. But then I came to the realization, like you did, that Gino would be good. But anyway, the perspective is you know, they had some crucial injuries to their defense. There's also a lot of young guys on the defense. They'll have learned a lot. They've built a core. Pete Carroll said last week how they've, you know, he, they've got all the right ingredients culture-wise, and he's been around other winning teams where he's had similar stuff. So there's clearly a big belief among the team. Not only that, not only did they go and make the playoffs, not only did they compete for a half against a very talented 49ers team before their collapse, but Denver's pick, I mean, I we've covered Russell Wilson's struggles in great detail on this podcast in Seattle and we've sort of talked about the trade and how you know we felt he was going down a bit although we did not predict as big a slide as this and also we didn't predict Denver to be as much of a car or we didn't I guess we never actually talked about how much of a car crash it could be but I think the fifth overall pick is a pretty damn good you'd have taken that at the start of the season I mean you'd have been like wow it was that bad um so a great 2022 season for Seattle despite how disappointing today was this is this is only just the start of this team cycle as funny as that is with Pete Carroll being what 71 now 
and we yeah, have he's we're not going anywhere. <laughs> he's not going. Why would he? Uh, and we're just getting ramped up. We we have so much stuff we can talk about. We've got the draft. We'll have a season review, uh, maybe a data review from the season, and then a tape review from the season, just sort of highlighting key topics. Yeah. Then draft content. Griff's already been a maniac and watched loads of the players. I need to get on his maniac level and delve into the Jalen Carters, the Will Andersons. I've watched Gonzalez because Griff implored me to watch him. And also, obviously, not just the glitzier names, but the day two, the day three guys. It doesn't stop. So we won't be going anywhere. We'll still keep it three times a week, I think, until the off-season. So yeah. yeah, we'll see. Keep the... Uh, well, you can't really keep the faith because the team is <laughs> gone. But keep keep the, uh, keep, keep the cope. Keep the cope. Thirty-one-seven is going to hit at some point. Oh yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thanks for the great questions. Thanks for the kind donations. Thank you also to uh, uh, Brendan Malali who also, he gave a super thanks donation, which you can also do if you like our stuff. Uh, he gave that. Uh, I think it was yesterday. So thank you very much for that. Thanks to your continued support, Brendan. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, great discussion. Like the video, subscribe to the video, follow Griffin at C Mike Spin Move, follow me at Matty F. Brown, follow at Seattle Overload. Also, download the podcast if you're listening as well. Give us a five star review. We appreciate you. The 2022 Seahawks are over, but now the 22. <laughs> But now I go to bed. No, but now the 2023 Seahawks are, are getting started and we'll also, we'll also be able to react to Pete Carroll's end-of-season press conference, which will have a few revealing nuggets as it tends to. Yeah, it's uh, it's not Genova. It's just be Genoing. Wow, very, very yeah. good, Griff. How long did you spend Thank on that you. one? Uh, that one just came to me, you know, mm. improv and You're talented, all that stuff. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Great. Right. Bye, guys.